You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on Apple Podcasts. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. Hey, this morning we're in uh, week two of our series, Burning Questions, and so let me ask you again, have you ever been frustrated because you got a lame or an incorrect answer to a question that you were asking, an important question that you were asking? Show of hands, you've, you've been given a bad answer to a question, an important question that you had at some point. That's why we started this series, because it's frustrating when you get a bad answer or a a lame answer, an an incomplete or an incorrect. And and so we started this series last week called Burning Questions because we all have questions about God and about faith. And the problem is sometimes we get some bad answers to those questions. And lame answers can lead to a lame faith. And and those answers, those bad answers that you've got, they're getting in the way of your faith. They're getting in the way of you growing deeper and going farther in your faith and so we think that there are some more compelling answers to the questions that we have about God and about faith last week we started uh, by asking the question who is God and there's a lot of misinformation a lot of bad information a lot of lame information out there about who God is and that's why Jesus stepped into the conversation to say Say, He is your Heavenly Father. If you want to know who God is, He is your Heavenly Father. And we framed the answer to that question by another question, by asking, what do you think about when you think about God? The image that you have when you think about God, what is it? Because that image, that thought that you have, will determine how you think about God. And so we want you to think of God as your Heavenly Father. This morning, we're going to tackle another question. And I'm fairly certain that, that every person has wrestled with this question at some point in their lives. And I say that because it's a question that I have wrestled with at multiple points in my life. In fact, I want to I tell you a story this morning about one of the first times that I really remember starting to wrestle with this question. I was in elementary school, probably around the fourth grade, and my parents were going to let me have some friends come over for the weekend. We we're going to have a, a, kind of one of those long weekend sleepover type things. And I was really excited about it because my parents, while they were always very laid back about letting me have friends over, and, and I spent a lot of different nights at, at other people's house, houses, they, unless it was my birthday or, or some sp- special sort of occasion, I usually didn't have more than one friend come over it was like okay well well this one can come over but but if you're gonna have more than one like we're just gonna have to wait for another time and so we were really excited I had invited three of my best friends to come over for the weekend and we were all excited about it at school we started planning on like Monday what we were gonna do all weekend and you know we're talking about you know how late we're gonna stay up all the Mountain Dew that we're gonna drink all you know all the junk food that we're gonna eat all the video games that we were gonna play and you know and that was a at a time when you know you couldn't just download a video game off the internet you had to you had to actually have the game and the great thing about it was you know having friends over whatever game that you didn't have well maybe your friend did and so they would bring those over and we were just going to spend all weekend just uh, playing video games and and all kinds of stuff like that and somewhere about the middle of the week my mom told me that I should remind my friends that hey they're going to be here for Sunday so they need to bring some clothes for church and I thought, okay, yeah, that, that's probably a good idea. So I went to school the next day and told them, said, hey, don't forget to bring clothes for church because we go to church every Sunday. So that's just what we do. So you need to bring some clothes. So I told my friends that. And then the next day, one of my friends came back to me at school and he said, hey, I'm not coming over this weekend. I'm not going to. If, if going to church is a requirement to, to come over, then I'm not coming. His family didn't go to church. That just wasn't what they did. And I guess that was okay at the time. But he said, if... If I have to go to church, I'm not coming. And so 
said, okay, well, I guess he's not coming over then. And then he went and told my other two friends that were supposed to come over, and he told them that he wasn't coming and why he wasn't coming, and they all of a sudden decided that they weren't going to come over. And so at, it was one of those times where maybe the first time, but not the last time, that following Jesus, that being a Christian, cost me something. And I'll be honest with you, the, the uh, first friend, since really about the fourth grade, we haven't really had much interaction with each other. We had, you know, of course, we, we had school, we were in school with each other all through elementary school, but then once we got to high school, we didn't have to see each other every day. We had different people in our classes. We didn't really talk. And to this day even, I still haven't really interacted with that guy much. It was the end, that, that day was really the beginning of the end of an elementary school friendship. And so it cost me something. Being a Christian cost me a friendship. And it was the first time, not the last time, but the first time that following Jesus cost me something. And here's what I know for sure. I know that there are going to be times when following Jesus is unpopular. That's just kind of a fact of life, right? Following, there are going to be times when following Jesus is unpopular. Guys, you, you might relate to this when you're in high school and you're in the locker room and you're talking about all the girls that are in your school and you're like, yeah, she's so pretty, I can't wait to hold her hand and guard her heart, right? Like nobody's coming in for the high five on that one, are they? There are going to be times when following Jesus is unpopular. There are going to be times when following Jesus is difficult. When, when God asks you to do something and it's just hard and you think, I don't know if I can do that, God. You know, like when His command to be generous meets your bank account. Or when His command to love one another meets your, meets your mother-in-law or your ex-mother-in-law or your ex-spouse. There are going to be times when following Jesus is difficult. There are going to be times when following Jesus is risky. You had a plan or a vision for your future, and you, you, just, you knew how your life was going to go, and then all of a sudden God enters the picture, and it's like, okay, I don't know, God, if I can do this. You're asking me to do something, and I, I'm just not sure about it. It seems like that's a big risk for me to take to follow you. There are going to be times when following Jesus is risky. There are going to be times when following Jesus is inconvenient. You know, you were... Uh, God's, God's morals, God's values dictate that you take the long way around, but you work in an industry that rewards shortcuts. And so following God is just inconvenient. It's just getting in the way. No matter who you are, you have had moments where following Jesus or the prospect of following Jesus has cost you something. And in those moments, when reality sets in, when rationality sets in, I bet you've asked this question right here. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? And I'm not talking about believing in Jesus. People believe in Jesus without following Jesus all the time. I'm talking about following Jesus, being all in. I, I am going to follow Jesus. Is it worth it? Or does He require too much of us? The hard truth this morning is that for some of you, you don't have a very compelling answer to this question. Is it worth it? Maybe the church that you grew up in didn't give you a very good answer. Maybe the person that led you to Jesus didn't, didn't give you a very good answer to this question. Maybe as you've gotten older, you've just forgotten what your answer is to this question. But if you don't have a compelling answer to this burning question about God and about faith, is it worth it, then chances are you won't follow Him. And I think this can explain quite a bit for us. I think this is why many of us seem to be... Um, seem to be on the fence followers of Jesus. You know, that we, we kind of straddle the fence. Sometimes we're in and sometimes we're out, but, but if we can just kind of stay right on the middle, that's where we like. I think that explains why, because we don't have a compelling answer to this question. I think it explains why some of us seem to be percentage followers of Jesus. You know, I, I can be 
10% in on, on Monday, maybe 50% on Wednesday. I'm like 90% on Sunday, but, but other days I'm, I'm 10, 20%. I, I'm a percentage follower. I'm all in on some things, but on other things, Jesus, there's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way I'm going to ask you're, you're going to ask me to do that. I think it explains why some of us are, are double-minded, you know, that we can be one way on Sunday morning, but, you know, when we're with our friends or we're, when we're at work, you know, Monday through Saturday, we're a different way. I think, it, I think it explains why some of us have a really easy time singing it in here, but we have a really difficult time living it out there because we don't have a compelling answer to this question. Is it worth it? It's why some of us are like kids at the swimming pool. If you've ever been to the pool when they're doing swim lessons, you know that there are three kinds of kids at the pool. The first one is the one that stands on the, on the deck of the pool, on the outside of the pool, and the instructor says jump in, and they just go, nope, not me. I'm not getting in that water. That water's cold. Nope, not doing it. Not going to do it. Then there's, then there's the other kid, the second kid, and, and he sits on, on the edge of the pool, and he's trying to decide if he wants to get in or not, so he just kind of dips his toes in, just sits there, and he's hanging out there. You know, if, if I get used to the water, maybe I can just ease into it. That's the second kind of kid. But then there's a third kid, and the instructor says jump in, and they come running out of the locker room, and they just dive right on in, and they're, they're all in, right? They, they're the kid that, you know, they're the kid you got to watch out for doing the cannonballs into the pool. When Noah and Eli were, were taking swim lessons, they were four and five years old or so. And the first night we were there, they were, we were at the YMCA. I'm sitting at the table next to the pool watching all the kids come out. And there comes a little boy out of the locker room. And I'm talking, he's, he's a chunky little kid. I mean, you're like, you, you remember Gus Gus from Cinderella, the, the chunky little mouse? That's kind of what I picture when I think of this little kid. I mean, he was, he was just, he was full of life, but he was, he was full too. And so the instructor says, jump in the pool. And this boy just goes full on Geronimo, and he just does the biggest belly flop into the pool. And I'm telling you, it was awesome. But of those three kids, those three types of kids, which are the kids that learn how to swim? Which ones learn how to swim? Yeah, the third one, the one that jumps in, right? The one that goes all in. And maybe that's just where we need to start at this morning when it comes to faith, when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to following Jesus. Which kid are you? Are you, are you the kid that stands out on the outside of the pool and nope you know maybe following Jesus has never been your thing you come to church on Sunday mornings because it's the socially acceptable thing to do that's just what people in our community do on a Sunday morning so you show up and if that's you I'm just going to say I'm really glad that you're here today for whatever reason compels you to come on a Sunday morning that, that you're here and hopefully by the end of today you'll move into a different category some of you might be there. I bet way more of you, though, are the kid who's, who's just sitting on the edge of the pool. And you, and you just got your, your feet dangling in. You're some in, but you're some out. And I want to tell you, I've sat right there for so many years in my faith. And maybe you identify with that. Maybe for a long time you've been sitting right on the edge and, and you, you want to go all in, but, but you're just trying to ease your way into it. I just want you to know that today... Today is about, all about the invitation, the invitation to go all in in your faith and in your relationship with Jesus and in, in following God. But it all comes back to this question right here. Is it worth it? Because following Jesus will sometimes cost you something. And unless you and I have a compelling answer to this question, chances are we're not going to spend the next year swimming in the deep end of the pool. 
We're going to hang out on the side. And we might put our feet in. And then when things happen, when it, may, when it costs us something, we step out on the deck and we go, nope, not me. Is it worth it? So in the next few minutes that we've got left, I want to spend that time with, with a verse from the Bible where Jesus says something, and, and it's, what, it's what called me to go all in. And, and it's what gave me a compelling answer to this question, and hopefully it compels you to go all in and gives you a, a better answer to this question of, is it worth it? It's over in Matthew chapter 16, so if you've got a Bible, flip over, flip over there, Matthew 16. And before I read this verse, I, I want to give you a little background, a little context to, to what's taking place here to help us understand what it is that Jesus is about to say. And in Matthew 16, he, Matthew records a conversation that Jesus has between his disciples. The conversation is one that you're probably familiar with if you've been in church very long. It's the conversation where Jesus says, hey, what do the people say about me? What's the word on the street about me? Who do, they say, who do people say that I am? And the disciples, they respond with, you know, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're, you're another prophet. Some say you're, you're John the Baptist. We believe he's come back from the dead, and, and that's who you are. And then Jesus says, okay, well, enough of, of what those people say I am. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, kind of the spokesman for the group, responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we call that... Peter's great confession, in fact, it's, it's the, the confession that we ask people to make when, when they decide to follow Jesus. We, say, we ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And, and Matthew notes that after that conversation takes place, that Jesus begins to speak a little differently. In fact, here's what it says, verse 21. It says, from that time on, from that time on, from this, from this moment and this conversation takes place, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So from that time on, from that conversation, Jesus begins talking a little differently. And he's telling the disciples about God's plan for him. About the plan that God has had from the very beginning of time that he's un unfolding for Jesus. And he says, this is what it's, what's going to happen. I've got to go to Jerusalem and the, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests. And they're going to put me to death. Now, understandably, the disciples don't respond real well to that. We have the benefit of, of, of hindsight. We have the benefit of living on this side of history. So we understand what's about to happen. We understand why all of those things must happen. But the disciples, they didn't have that perspective. They were living in the now, so they had a now perspective. And they didn't respond real well to this. In fact, I, I think it would be kind of like uh, in today's world, if, if you worked for a business and the business owner came in and said, hey, we're going to go to Washington, D.C., and all of our stock prices, they're going to plummet, and our board of directors is going to be evaporated, and I'm going to get arrested, and I'm going to get thrown in jail, and I'm going to be abused, and all of you guys, you're going to lose your job. Now, if you're a guy, the person that you worked for said that to you, probably wouldn't go over real well, would it? You'd probably have a pretty bad reaction to that. And the disciples, they, have a, they understandably have a bad reaction to this, they don't respond well. And so Peter, the spokesman of the group, again, he takes Jesus aside. I love that. It says that it takes him aside. Who takes the Son of God aside? All right, Jesus, hey, we got to talk about this, right? Like, I'm going to. He pulls the Son of God aside. And this is what he says it says he began to rebuke him. Not only does he take him aside, he begins to fuss at him. Who does that? Who fusses at Jesus? Who fusses at the Son of God? Peter does. That's who. And Peter says, Never, never, Lord, that's not going to happen. This shall never happen to you. And we can understand Peter's reaction to Jesus, can't we? 
Peter thought, there's no way you're going to go to Jerusalem and there's no way you're going to lose your life. It's just not going to happen. Whoever came up with this plan, it's not a good plan. It's a dumb plan. It's a stupid plan. It's not worth it, Jesus. There's no way you can do this. And then Jesus responds to Peter. And he responds with maybe the most, the, the harshest words that we have recorded of his. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And the reason I want to read this part first is because last week we started this series by saying that God is our Heavenly Father. And, and because He's a, a good Father, He has a plan for us. And, and so now we're, we're reading this. And we're seeing the plan that God had for Jesus and, and it's kind of bumping up against this question of, is it worth it? And there are times in our life where, where we think, okay, God, you got a plan for my life and then it, it bumps up against this question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to go all in with this plan? And what I love about this moment is that we have Jesus, the Son of God, and He's standing in our shoes because this is the plan that God had for Him. So He's got to ask Himself this question, is it worth it? And He's got His friend, Peter, you know, Peter and Jesus, they were, they were tight. Peter was one of the inner three. Jesus loved Peter, and Peter loved Jesus. And Peter's looking at Jesus, and he's telling him, it's not worth it. This is not a good plan. It's not worth it. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan, because this is the plan that God has for me. This is, this is the plan that God has been unfolding for me from the very beginning of time. Since day one, God knew that we weren't going to get it right. And so he had to have a plan to redeem us. This is the plan. And Peter, you're getting in the way. So you've got to get behind me. You've got to get out of the way because you're in the way of God's plan for my life. I can't be just a percentage follower. I've got to be all in with this plan. And so Peter, you've got to get behind me because you're getting in the way. And then Jesus literally turns toward Jerusalem and he goes all in and he does the greatest work recorded in all of human history and he lays down his life for the sins of mankind. He's all in. But here's where Jesus is just such a great leader because before he does that, he takes a moment to help Peter follow in his footsteps. He takes a moment to speak to 12 young men to, to, give, them what they're gonna, to give them what they need so that they can do what they're going to need to do. He speaks through history and through the pages of the Bible to me and to you so that we can fully turn to God as, as the plan that God has for us unfolds so that we can decide, I'm all in. It's worth it. And the next words that Jesus says are going to be words that change the trajectory of our faith. These are the words that will answer this really important question. Is it worth it? Here's what he says, verse 24. So Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to go all in with me, whoever, whoever wants to be in the deep end of the pool with me, they got to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. Now the irony and the foreshadowing here is that we know what Jesus means when he says, pick up your cross, right? We know what the cross means for us, but he's talking to the disciples, and remember, they don't have this perspective yet. They're living in the now. They don't know what the cross is going to mean to them in the future. We know that Jesus was literally about to pick up his cross and to be executed on it, but the disciples, they don't have that perspective yet. They don't know. But here's what's so great about this, is in this moment, he's not talking about him. 
He's not talking about what's going to happen to him. He's talking about them. And he's talking about us. He's talking about anyone who's ever going to make an attempt to follow him. And Jesus is saying, hey, let me be up front with you. Let me be honest with you. If you're going to follow me, there will absolutely be times when it's going to cost you something. If you're going to follow me, there will absolutely be times where it's not going to be popular, where it's going to be difficult, where it's going to be risky, where it's going to be inconvenient. If you're going to follow me, there are going to be times when you feel like, yes, you are denying yourself something. It's going to cost you something. And for many of us, when we hear that, understandably, our reaction is, well, if it's going to cost me that much, then Jesus, why in the world would I want to follow you? If it's going to cost me, if it's going to be unpopular, if, I'm, if it's going to be too difficult, if it's going to be risky, if it's going to be inconvenient, then Jesus, why would I want to follow you? Why wouldn't I just want to be a percentage follower? Why wouldn't I just want to be kind of on the fence and sometimes in and sometimes out? Why wouldn't I want to follow you when, when it's easy, when it's not, uh, when it's not inconvenient, when it's... Um, not risky. Why wouldn't I want to follow you in those times? And Jesus says, I'll tell you why. In verse 25, this is the verse I want us to really pay attention to. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I get what Jesus is saying here is a little bit cryptic. It's a little bit poetic. It's difficult to understand. So let me, so let me just read it again. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And because that's difficult sometimes to understand, I brought an illustration to to help us understand this a little bit better. Here's a picture of my dog, Bailey. She's a good dog. She's not a very smart dog, but she's a good dog. And this is Bailey's favorite toy. It's it's a bouncy ball. She she used to really like tennis balls, but... uh, she kept eating all the green stuff off of them, and I got tired of picking all the green stuff out of the, well, you know. So, so I went to a bouncy ball, and she loves this toy. But I'll be honest with you, it's not one of my favorite toys to play with with her because she's not really good at fetch. I'll throw it, and she'll go chase it down, and sometimes she'll bring it back to me, and, and, and other times she doesn't. And when she does bring it back to me, she never wants to just drop the ball and give me the ball. She wants, to, you know, she wants me to reach in there and, and grab hold of it and wrestle wrestle her for it and and you can see this ball's pretty nasty and, and it stinks if you could get close enough to smell it you, you'd be like oh that that stinks and I had to bring it in a couple days earlier so it would dry out because it's constantly got slobber all over it and when I reach in to to try and pull it from her like sometimes she she almost bites me she don't mean to but you know it's I got my hand in her mouth what, what else is she gonna do and so this is not my favorite toy and one day I was playing with her and I'm throwing the ball and she brought it back to me and I'm trying to wrestle the ball, and I'm just like, just drop the ball. And she's like, no, I'm not going to drop the ball. And she just about bit me. She didn't mean to, but she just about got me. And I thought, you know, this is really dumb. There's got to be something better that I can play with my dog with so, you know, so I'm not going to get hurt. And so I went to the pet store, and I got one of these. And I thought, this is a great toy because I can throw it, and she'll go get it and bring it back to me. And, if, and she loves to play tug. That's really what she wants to do with this. And, and so I can... I can let her have part of it, and she's not going to chew through it, and, and it's not going to get all slobbery. My hands aren't going to get all slobbery. She's not going to bite me while I'm trying to get it from her. So, like, this is a much better toy. And so when I brought it home, I was all excited to go play with my dog, and I went out to the back door, out to the back deck where she was at, and I said, hey, Bailey, you want to you play? And what'd she do? 
She ran and got the ball. And she brought the ball to me. And she sat down in front of me. And I'm like, Bailey, drop the ball. Drop the ball, we'll play with this. Bailey, drop the ball, we'll play with this. And she's just looking at me like, you're an idiot. Like, I'm not going to drop the ball. Because in her mind, this is her most valuable possession. This is her ball, and it's her favorite toy. And she's just looking at me like, this is, this is it. This is the toy I want to play with. And I'm going, but Bailey, I've got a better toy. We can play with this, and, and it's going to be better. You're missing out on something better because you won't let go of this. And in the same way, believe it or not, this is what Jesus is saying about our life. Not that he wants to give you a dog toy. It's, it's much better than that. He said, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. And every single command that, that God has ever made, every single uh, rule that Jesus has ever asked of us, every single step that he has ever invited us to take in following him, it has all been with one simple agenda, to give us life to the fullest. And yet we have this dilemma. Because Jesus comes to us and he says, here's the life that you're holding on to. And here's the life that I want to give you. And it's better. It's life to the fullest. But in order, but in order to have this life, you've got to let go of this life. Whatever, to whatever extent you hold on to this, you're going to miss out on this. So if you want, to, if you want life to the fullest, you're going to have to let go. He says if you, if you try and hold on to it, if you try to save it, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of it, then you'll find it. And that's a really big deal because the life that you're holding on to, this life that, that you and I have, that we already have, it, it works. You know, it's, it's really cool. It gets the job done. We can, we can play with this all day long, right? It will be fine. But it's not life to the fullest. This life to the fullest that Jesus promises us, it's, it's the most, uh, most joy-filled and passion-filled and redemption-filled life that we could ever dream of. But don't let me undersell it to you this morning. Because it's not just a full life. It's a forever life. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, not to give us a couple of decades of good living, of okay living, but he died and rose back to, from life so that we could have a forever life so that we could have a life that extends far beyond the grave. And when you hold on to this, the extent that you hold on to this, you miss out on this. So let me just ask you, how much of your life do you want to spend playing with a bouncy ball? How much of your life are you just going to settle for? How much of your faith are you just going to settle and hang on to this when you can have something much better? Because my fear is this, my fear is that we will grab so tightly to this with our hands, that we will hold on so tightly to the life that we already have that we won't have any hands available to grab on to the life that Jesus wants to give us. My fear is that, is that we, will, we will be a percentage that will settle for a percentage of this when we could have all of this. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says if you save it, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, if you let go of it, then your hands will be free and open to grab hold of the life that He wants to give you. And the moment that you lose your life to Jesus, the moment that you, the moment that you find your life is the moment that you lose your life to Jesus. The moment that you find your life is the moment that you lose it to Jesus, the one who came to give you life to the fullest. It's that moment that you find that next level of your life, life the next step in your faith is any moment that you lose it 
to Jesus. So keep saying yes to Jesus because he's inviting you into a full life. Don't stop. Don't stop running to the full life. The full life is not something that we, once we get, we stop. It's something that we keep running toward all the time. Don't you dare stop losing your life to Jesus because he's not done inviting you into more of his life. Don't stop losing your life to Jesus because he's not done inviting you into more of his life. And that, that's why it's worth it. That's why it's always worth it to follow Jesus, whether for the first time or the 400th time. That's why it's always worth it because he gives us life, a forever life, to the fullest. And so the question is, is it worth it? You bet it is. It's worth it all the time. But maybe even the more important question is this. Are you going to hold on to the life that you already have? Or are you going to let go so that you can have the full life? So that you can grab on to the full life and be all in with Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we are thankful for a for a Savior that was all in, that was all in for the plan that you had for him, that he would come and, and live a perfect life to redeem us, to give us a chance at eternal life, at a, at a forever full life. And so, Father, help us to be compelled to the answer that, yes, it's, it's worth it absolutely all the time. But, Father, also help us to know that it's going to cost us stuff. It might cost us a friendship. It might cost us a promotion at work. It might it could cost us all kinds of things. But it's worth it. Because of the full life that you give to us through your son Jesus. So Father, my prayer is simply this this morning, that if there's someone here who is not all in, that you would compel them to be all in and following you. That today would be the day that they, they surrender completely over you. They say, I am all in, Jesus. Where, where, whatever you would have me to do, if you'd have me go somewhere, I am all in whatever it costs. Because it's going to cost me something. Whatever it costs, I'm all in. Father, thank you for making it worth it to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.